People first organizations will win in the future of work. Your only real asset is your people. We, we all, all want purpose-driven work. HR-led organization is I'm sorry, but leaders don't lead empty desks and empty shop floors. Welcome to the People Strategy Leaders Show. I'm your host, Sri Chalapa, founder and president of Engagedly, and a serial entrepreneur in technology, films, and music. This is where we talk to people leaders, business strategists, and organizational savants about leading in the time of change. What is working, what is not working, and more importantly, what we should be thinking about. Stick around to the end of the show. We will reveal how you can be our next guest. And now, let's engage. Hello and welcome to People Strategy Leaders. This is Sri Chalapa, and today I'm joined with Dr. Stephen Barden. Stephen Barden is a coach, mentor, and author specializing in identifying, assessing, and developing top-level leaders and organizational cultures. His insights on leadership, power, and success can benefit your listeners and benefit our listeners and provide a fresh perspective on how we define and choose our leaders. Dr. Barden turned to coach mentoring after 15 years in senior management, including 10 years as a CEO in the media and technology sectors. As an individual at the team level, he helps leaders develop and maintain skills, behaviors, and values to ensure sustainable success in both organizations and themselves. Um, Stephen, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm looking forward to having this lively discussion. Uh, and I really want to jump into this uh, research you did, but uh, thanks for joining the show. Thank you, Sri. Thank you very much. Good to be here. And thank you for your invitation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as we were talking earlier, you know, you are a leadership coach. You work at board level uh, leaders, also aspiring leaders, people who are rising stars, as you said. You know, and as part of that, obviously, it's informed by some of the research you did, right, around successful leaders, um, and which led you to write the book, you know, how successful leaders do business with the world. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, what did you learn from that book and what was the message that was conveyed in the book that, you know, might be like an aha moment or a moment that, you know, where a lot of leaders are missing the mark? The the book, just to give you a bit of a backstory on, 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 on the research that I did, uh, which was for the doctorate, and then it was converted into the book and is, is, is ongoing now. The book was originally, I, I wanted to really find out how successful leaders learnt while they were on the job. In other words, how, how they learnt, how they took in their learning while they, were, while they were under fire, if you like. And the, what I realised quite quickly was that these guys actually wanted, for some reason, wanted to talk about their childhood. They would relate their, how they were behaving now to their childhood. So the first, if you like, aha moment that came out of that after a, a lot of data, and we we interviewed them over 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 four years or so, was that these guys learned how to use their authority and power. They learned it way back when they were kids. Way back when they were kids. Now that's not entirely new, by the way. You know, Piaget said that. Keegan has said that. You know that they, you learn how to to manage your world when when you're a child. What was new uh, was what we, I, I learned from them was that it's, it's a matter of power. They formed a, an assumption, if you like, a, a foundational assumption that basically said, if you like, to them, hey, either the world is on one extreme, you know, really so powerful, there's nothing I can do about it. And that's mostly from, you know, abused kids 
or on the other extreme, the world is is a nothing. I can do whatever I like with it, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, or the sweet spot, and this is where these guys were, and these were all objectively successful leaders. They were top academics, top CEOs, and top military leaders. And and I deliberately, by the way, interviewed them anonymously and guaranteed their anonymity so they didn't have to defend themselves. They were, could be as open as possible. And these had the sweet spot, which basically was they regarded their world and it's their world rather than the world that their world would be their families, their institutions, their organizations, their armies, et cetera, et cetera. They regarded their world, they and their world had a very balanced equilibrium of power. They and their world could do business with one another rather than, so they didn't compete, they don't compete against the world. They treat it as a partner. Mm, mm, so from there, from, the, from there, I did develop these two, uh, if you like, stances. One is the oppositional stance, which mo- most of us have to a greater or lesser extent. And then there's this partnering stance where the world and you, your partners, you work with them. You work with the world. You don't compete against the world. If, if something happens, you know, bad happens to you, it's not the world's fault. It's, it, you, you, weren't looking, you weren't looking carefully enough when you, when you stumbled. So that was what was going on. And then they developed from there, if you like, they developed a set of assumptions. It's assumptions, not behaviors. It's assumptions about the world, which, which, which included, you know, that you're, you're alert to it, you're, you're pretty holistic about it, you, you keep on, you keep on, as one, as one of the uh, research subjects said, you keep on tasting and checking how people are feeling in your organization. And the central theme of that, the most uh, exciting bit that I found about that was that these guys always looked at two things, text and context. In other words, they didn't just go in and say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna now you know, drive this organization to, to an IPO within, within three years. They basically said, what am I leading? What is this organization? What does it consist of? How do I bring this entire ship to the strategic goals? Not just part of it, but the entire ship. Mm. So basically, and they were very good at that. So basically, they were not looking at preconceived black and white notions. They were always assessing the situation, acting according to the situation. So they are not married to an ideology, if you will, to some extent. Yeah. Would that be an accurate assessment? Yeah, that's 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 pretty good. And in and in fact, one of the, you know, the, you, one of them was was pretty good at at looking at one of the generals was was very good at suddenly realizing that the way warfare had been conducted, you know, in the past was just completely wrong. It was it, it was it was something that was uh, may have been apt and and uh, justified in the in the Second World War or even the First World War, but wasn't now in the area of of if you like urban warfare and and where where you didn't really know where the end. So he sort of turned that concept around because he wasn't, as you put it, he wasn't wedded into his preconceived idea. And they yeah. would do exactly the same. They were pretty. That's why they could be very innovative very navigatory if you like you know they would they would always have a plan a plan b plan c and plan d they would always do that yeah so would you say also they they don't fly blind essentially in the sense that they're not going with a blind level of confidence uh in their approach to leading 
things, right? They, they don't fly blind because the world, remember, their world, remember, is their partner. So the organization is their partner. So they don't fly blind. They will have, a, they will have their plan. They will think about it. But they will also make sure that they're working with the stakeholders within the organization to, to form the strategy. They won't do things alone. They never do things alone. They always work with people. That's the important part of it. Would you, okay, so what would you say to leaders who were, who are successful, or at least presumably successful on paper at least, but were considered authoritarian leaders? Would, like, would that be fit in this model or would that be a different model then? Well, let me look at it in a couple of ways. One is how long are those are those leaders successful as authoritarian leaders? How long can they be successful? And how much damage do they do? In other, they may be successful in bringing, giving themselves a lovely salary or giving themselves lovely, lovely, lovely shares because that's that's what they've been driving at. But what do they do to the organization? How successful is the organization? If you're saying they are successful, my next question will be how successful is the organization? Because is this is the organization sustainably successful? And I think success has to be seen, success of an organization has to be seen as how sustainable is it? In, in other words, how long can it carry on? How long is, what is the longevity of this organization? Because I can, we can, we can all be successful in a short burst, you know, of, of five, 10, 15 years, but can you sustain that success? And you keep it, can you keep it going? And can you keep it going to do better as it goes along? Yeah. So, these authoritarian leaders, it depends. I've had, I've had a, a very authoritarian, when I first went into senior management as, as, a, um, as a COO, and he was massively authoritarian. But, what, but it was very contextual. He needed to be massively authoritarian because the company was going down the drain and he was trying to drag it back up again to get it back on course. He had taken it over as a CEO, when the company was literally going down the drain, it was losing in those days, and it was quite a long time ago, it was losing something like, you know, 15, 20 million pounds a week. It was, it was, it was, it was apparently, the, the, the joke was at the time, it was more profitable to hand out videos of each broadcast rather than broadcasting. So, so, you know, he was very authoritarian, but when that was over, he, his his whole style changed because he couldn't he, he he couldn't sustain it he wouldn't be able to sustain it so he then started becoming more inclusive. Yeah, so the reason I asked that is you know presumably you know one could argue that Elon Musk is one of the successful leaders of our time, but also considered, I would say by many people to be authoritarian and uh, hard to work with, and you know his style is not always at least doesn't seem very structured and participatory. How would you describe that, and 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 how would you, how would you, what would add, would you attribute his the success of his companies to then? The success of his company is 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 in the in the vision, is in the vision and in the drive to get certainly with with you know certainly with 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 the development of the cars and certainly in the development I think in in uh, in what he's doing in in outer space because there's there's quite a clear vision now. Now the question that remains because it's, we, we still are 
this has still been a very short space of time, is how long can he sustain it that way? Does he have to change style? And by the way, is his style at the organization formerly known as Twitter, is that, is that, uh, you know, is that style appropriate to Twitter? Is it? And is it making Twitter successful? It's making Tesla successful. It's making the satellite successful. Um, but is he is 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 now X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, is that successful? And and how long can the entire organization continue in that vein? Yeah, yeah. I think that remains to be seen. In, in you know, even when you are look at Tesla, for example, um, it is the success can be measured in two ways. Right? One is in the stock price, which has done phenomenally well. I mean, it was. I don't know if it still is, but valued more than all the all the car companies in the U.S. combined, and mm -hmm. and some more. Um, and also, they were like a good ten years ahead of time. You know, it took took Ford and GM almost another extra ten years to catch up to something that they should have been ahead of to begin with, right? So he's obviously done that. Now, the, in the long run, whether we'll be able to sustain a competitive advantage or not, I think it still remains still remains to be seen because. Electric cars penetration in the U.S. market uh, and in the world market is in still low single digits, right? We, yeah. We're not even a double digit at all. So we are in the very nascent stage of this market. Uh, it this could turn out to be a Xerox, or it could turn out to be a Microsoft. We don't know yet, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's that flexibility, isn't it? That was I was talking about that navigational bit where you you have a plan A, plan B, plan C, and plan D. Does he have a plan? Does he have a plan C? And does he have a plan D? Yeah. And you're right. Penetration in the in the U.S. and 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 in Europe may be increasing, but it's still it's still uh, minuscule. And it, and I was talking to somebody who had just come back from China, and of course the Chinese EV market manufactured is just exploding, and and Tesla does not have a significant part of that market yet. Yeah, and same thing, you know, I go to India quite a bit, and every time I go there, I'm surprised by how many EV cars I see on the roads now. Yeah. They're not Tesla. Tesla doesn't have a single car on the roads there yet uh, because of all the other domestic tariffs issues and all of that, you know, on top yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, I don't want to, you know, beat up on Tesla, uh, or Tesla, or I mean, Elon Musk. <laughs> and I'm a big fan of his vision uh, and what he's been able to accomplish against the odds. But that being said, you know, what were some of the other findings that you found among successful leaders? Or maybe let me just ask you a more blunt question, I guess, is if you were to, when you're coaching a leader, you know, what are some other two or three key questions you ask them that gives you insight, okay, whether this person is going to be successful or not based on how they respond to those questions? I think there are a number of things. One is I need to understand where he's come from. So, I, you know, the first time I, I, I meet them, I will interview them for three or four hours going back into that childhood. So we, we, we get that for those assumptions. I think the other things are a number of things that we, we, we talk about. And one of them is, um, you know, how, how, how fluid is, is this person, is this, this CEO in, in, in navigating? What is, and what is his vision? What is her or his vision when they're actually looking at organizations if i see that there is a narrow bit there is a narrow thing that's going through there and there is a narrow vision then i'm going to start worrying that this person is actually not leading he's acting actually she or he is acting as as an agent if i'm seeing them being much more inclusive 
and the ego. The interesting thing is about, by the way, and, and it's, it's, it's an answer to your question as well, is that the leaders that certainly I research and continue to research have a surprisingly small ego. Because you know what? The job is more important. Yes. Getting what they yes. do. That's much more. They, they don't give the stuff about, about you know, how, how, um, how they look or whether, whether they, they are leading from, from the front or the back or the sideways. They, they want to get the job done. They want to do it and they want to lead the organization. So they're particularly, the, the ego is small. They, they include as many people as possible. They are very flexible in terms of their fluidity. They don't, they're not, they're not dogmatic and they're not dogmatic in terms of direction. You know, this, this mania of, of, you know, we've got to get there. We've got, no, no, they know that as long as they go into the right direction, that's what they're doing. And they're immensely pragmatic, immensely pragmatic. I mean, there was this, uh, I coined it as they will do the best possible until the best possible isn't, is no longer best. And then they will change the possible. So there's, there's that entrepreneur. And I think the core in here is that even if they are running, you know, pretty established organizations, there is that entrepreneurial spirit about them. Mm-hmm. They will look for new ways of doing. They are innovative. They will, and they will get, inf- they will, they suck in information and they are very eager and very willing to be challenged. Now, you and I know that, you know, to challenge a CEO, uh, you know, my door is always open is the, is the usual phrase. My door, you, yes. you can tell me whatever yes. you, but you and I know that most 90% of people don't, don't tell the CEO what they're really thinking. Yeah, I was, I was reading this some, one, one post somewhere said the CEO is usually the last person to know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the first person to know. So unfortunately, Absolutely. because nobody's telling them anything yet. Yeah, and you see, Ray Dalio, I think certainly in what he was, in what he set out to do, yes. Ray Dalio with that 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 ability to be able to say, this is a meritocracy. We don't care what the meetings, you know, what what your 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 status or your your level is, your seniority is in the meeting. Is the idea a good idea? Including my idea. Is this a good idea? Tell me why it isn't a good idea. Test my idea. So they all they all had this, and that's what I'd like to see. That's you, your question was, you know, how do I know they're going to be successful if they're willing to test their ideas, if they're willing to make sure that they they are garnering as many of the assets of the organization and as much knowledge of the organization to be able to take the next step. Yeah, yeah, I don't I, exactly. Ray Dalio, I think, is the one who might have said that actually. The, that quote I was giving you. But he also said one thing that I really like, which is don't ask the question, how could I be, how, how do I know I'm right? Ask the question, how do I know I'm not wrong, right? Test the idea to know that where could I have, where could I go wrong with this? And really yeah. focus on those aspects. I mean, it's not necessarily a pessimistic point of view. It's also making sure that, because once you run with an idea, you're, you're changing the direction or you, you're pivoting the entire organization right? You want to be as close to being right about that as possible. Yeah. And, and the only way you're going to do that is if you test it. And, you know, yeah. For example, the military, certainly the, the US military and, 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 and the British military, they have these endless scenario planning, endless tests, endless mock battles, endless just to, just to keep on checking on the weaknesses and to, you know, 
how could I, you know, where where could I be wrong here? Uh-huh. Where could yes. I be wrong here? What yeah. is the fatal flaw here? You know, that's that's important. Yeah. Great. Well, I think the one topic that I wanted to discuss with you is around, around the same concept of leadership. Um, actually, before I get to that, you, you said something that really piqued my interest, right? Leaders, even seasoned CEOs who are professional CEOs, if you will, not a founder like myself or Elon Musk or any of these people, but, but, a, but a professional CEO who's switched a few or three or four jobs and eventually became a CEO some place. Even they have an entrepreneurial mindset and are driven by a need to make change and improve and innovate and 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 lead the organization to the next level and outcompete and all of that. How what have you seen that leaders good leaders do to translate that internally to their people so they can create and, and there's a word I like to use a lot is intrapreneurs right internal to the company. What have you seen them do that you know bring that mindset where. The, their you know first level executives and the second level manage, executives and managers and and people below them are also thinking entrepreneurial and not just be looking at their job description saying this is all I'm doing this is what I've been told to do. I think a number of things is one is this having everybody understand where this where this organization can go and where where it is going and where it can go in terms of. What is success to this organization? The other one is that you need to be able to ensure that all your people know and are rewarded for taking a form taking a form of risk, taking risk. And that becomes massively important. Now it's not it's not the wild risk, it's the right. risk that actually is appropriate to the strategy is appropriate right. to the strategy. So if I'm, I'm making cars, don't come to me and say, you know, if I'm making EVs, don't come to me and say, look, I've, I've created this great, great lawnmower. And, and that could be a big part of our business. It, it's not, it's not going to align. Right. So the, the risk has got to be, and, you know, the, the, the cliche that we, we've all come across, you know, is, is do it first and then ask for, ask for forgiveness later. It's more than that. It's actually thinking getting them to think strategic and getting them to think creatively so that you can, you, you're able to, to encourage these people to be innovative, to be as, as, uh, as clear as possible. There was another thing I think that, 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 that I, I, I always liked about these people is that they created a, a culture, I think a successful leader creates a culture around them where, where everybody feels responsible for the organization it's there's more than a loyalty in that you know anybody can can uh can contribute to that organization and there was a hotel group and i can't remember which one it was at some time ago where it had this this wonderful way of of saying which which was no problem so you could go to the you you walk into the into the hotel you want to organize a conference you see that you see a cleaner on the, in the in the foyer, and you say in the reception area, you say, "I'd like to to organize a, a conference. Can you help me?" And the cleaner would say, "No problem. I'll go and find somebody who's going to do exactly that for you." Yeah. So it's I, taking. I wish I saw more of that. You yeah. Know, like, oh, I don't work here. Go and ask the reception desk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you go from place to place. I'm like, yeah. Hey, yeah. This yeah, is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and there's this, there's other you know the other thing of course was you know go and ask it, it speaks to something else. 
you know, this is my job. This is what I've been given to do. I'm not going to do anymore. That's what I've got to do. It's getting them to understand they're going to be rewarded by, by that. So what does that mean? It means you need to tell them and you need to be talking about and you need to get them to explore about what your strategy is, what, where you're going, what you're going to be doing. You need to be able to say, okay, how can you contrib con contribute to it? So it's, it's getting them into the tent as much as possible and making sure that they can take risks. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Um, so one thing that you said successful leaders do, and you mentioned something about that also stood out, is the narrow mindset. You know, if you have, a, not, a, not necessarily a narrow mindset, but a narrow approach, to their to a to running an organization which indicates that they're being an agent to someone who wants that approach so could be an agent in your in one of the examples we were talking about earlier before we started this recording is um, being an agent of the shareholders or the agent of your venture capital fund that is you know wanting you to grow 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 and nothing else right um so what the opposite of that is a mosaic led leadership style so which which is your term i'm going to i'm using here what, can you explain in what does a mosaic led uh, leadership style mean and how does one go about making sure that it, it it's what they're doing you start off by saying i'm leading an organization i'm leading an entire organization and i'm leading this organization i'm taking this organ helping to get this organization to what the strategic goals are. Now, what does an organization consist of? It consists of shareholders. It consists of owners, say. It consists of customers. It consists of suppliers. It consists of staff. It consists of uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You need to be able to make sure that they all, that you're, you're balancing their interests and balancing their energies as equitably as possible. Not because you know it's nice or good, but because it's, that's the way you're gonna take the entire organization forward. I'll give you an example. At one stage in my career, the latter stage of my career as a, as a, as a, as a CEO, I was then, uh, I, I took a job where I was being asked to, to prepare it for an IPO right prepare it for sale and my reward was going to be a nice a rather nice LTIP very nice LTIP so I thought my boy this could be you this could be you about to about to retire and in, in in wealth so what I did is I drove the organization to what to the LTIP to the IPOY because of my because of my my LTIP mm -hmm. now in doing that I took the organization at a speed which was much more than it could sustain because it was a transformational bit, I could, mm -hmm. number one. Number two, I then was going to have to neglect to a great extent the people who were, who were feeling insecure, certain suppliers because I had to, we were going to have to squeeze them. The whole speed of development of the technology, if you like, that we were doing, all of that for one thing, because we were going to go for the IPO for the same. Right. Now, right. I then, I wasn't being a leader, Sri, I was being, I was being an agent. I was being an agent for the, for the, for the, 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 the shareholders, if you like, the owners. Why? Because then I was going to get my LTIP. Mm -hmm. And I think 
the danger these you know successful leaders any leader actually needs to understand are you there to be a leader do, do you am i here to lead this organization forward sustainably to make it grow to extend etc cetera, etc cetera, to learn better or am i there as an agent for for the shareholders or and you know i will even go so far that you know we, we when we were talking earlier on as to say when people say you need to be an hr-led organization no no, you need HR is, you know, people, people that are part of the, the organization. The technology is part of it. The suppliers are part of it. Everybody's part of it. Um, so you need to be able to make sure that you're balancing all those interests. Because mm -hmm. if you don't, your suppliers are going to do some, something strange. You know, if you squeeze them, and we've seen it in a number of organizations, particularly in you know, supermarket chains, for example, who squeeze their, their farmers, their suppliers, their farmers go bankrupt or start reducing the quality of their stuff. That then goes, that then translates into, you know, the, your, your customer satisfaction going down, loss of customers. Now they go, oh, no, we can't do this. We can't do this anymore. We've got to cut even further costs. So we cut even further. Our cashiers go, you know, we're throwing out cashiers and put them, or putting automatic um, cash desks in it and the whole thing starts to shrink why because you're driving for profit for the shareholders on a short term you're not driving for the sustainable growth of this organization you're not leading it and in fact you're driving which is another thing that you know i believe successful leaders never do you lead from the center because you're taking the whole thing forward like that right right Excellent. Well, it's been a great discussion, uh, Stephen. I really appreciate the time and your insights, and uh, I can see why you're a successful leadership coach. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. Um, how can people reach out to you and learn more about the work you do and, and read more about your work? Sri, thank you for that. And thank you, by the way, for the invitation very much. Um, website is uh, www.stephenbarden.org not not uh, com somebody else in canada i believe um my uh, i am also on linkedin I'm, I'm very active on linkedin and so that's stephen barden at linkedin um i have two podcasts one i'm doing which i've just started uh, i think we're on our third or fourth guest and that's on that's called migrant odyssey and i'm looking at the whole thing of of migrants refugees uh both economic migrants, people who go who leave countries for, for you know to get better uh, possibilities, etc., and the richness that they bring to the organization to the, the country. And then I have another podcast which is called the uh, the Power of Balance, which talks about the book and talks about the research and, and promotes this idea of partnering leadership styles. And of course, the book is um, how successful business uh, how successful leaders do business with their world excellent well thank you stephen it's been a pleasure shri thank you very much until next time shri chalapa here thank you so much for listening to the people strategy leaders podcast if you are a successful leader or a people strategist who would like to be on this program please visit engagedly.com slash people strategy leaders podcast 
If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag #PeopleStrategyLeaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Sri Chalapa. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. And thank you to Patrick Ramsey, sound engineer at Kalinga Production Studios, for recording and mixing this show.